0: Gems Podcast. I am the founder and host, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Dr. Amy Duffy. Here is a bit about Dr. Amy. So Dr. Amy is the number one best-selling author of Normal Doesn't Have Side Effects, award-winning speaker at Harvard Club of Boston, CNN Center, NASDAQ, New York, City Bar Association, and the Philadelphia College of Physicians. Dr. Duffy has shared the stage with Martha Stewart, Suzanne Somers, um, and Dr. Oz as well as some, a few others. She is a frequent podcast guest and expert guest on ABC, NBC, CBS and Fox network TV shows. And today we're going to hear both sides of what it's like for her to be a physician, but also the patient side dealing with hormonal issues, gut balance, gut imbalances and stuff like that. That can definitely help you look out for those signs that you may be dealing with and you may not feel like you 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 are being seen and heard by your physician. So she's going to give you some tips and tricks regarding that, as well as talk about some, some things that may help you bust those myths. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Amy Duffy to GEMS Podcast. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Duffy. So, before we dive in, we are going to have a bit of an icebreaker. So, okay. if you have two options here. If you could say a crazy thing that you've done in your life that you've either learned from or um, that is just fun and crazy for you to do, or you could say a fun but interesting fact about yourself.
1: Well, how about we combine both of them together? One of my favorite stories is that I delivered my own baby. So um, I delivered thousands of babies over my career. I started deciding that I wanted to be a doctor when I was 17 years old. I was a babysitter for a family and they were having baby number two and invited me to actually be in the delivery room with them when I was in high school, basically. So I was 17 years old. And through that experience, I thought it was the best thing that ever happened in the world. And I was like, I want to do this. I want to be a doctor. I want to deliver babies. And I did. I went to college. I went to medical school, finished residency, and I delivered over a thousand babies in my career. But I would say one of the most memorable is my baby number four. So typically speaking, when you have multiple babies, they they often get easier as time goes on. And so by the time baby number four came, I had um, the first two babies without any pain medication at all or epidural or anything like that. By the third one, I thought I was going to do it, but she came so fast that they didn't have time. So I had another one with no epidural. And then by the fourth one, I was like, give me the epidural quick. I was getting induced because my blood pressure had started to go up a little bit. So they just decided uh, it was time. Let's go ahead and have this baby. So, you know, I started the medications. I got my epidural really early and I was just kind of hanging in the hanging in the bed chilling, talking to my family and, you know, not much going on. And the nurse came in and said, man, your baby is just moving all over the place. It's hard for us to keep her on the monitor. Is it okay if we put a scalp electrode on her head internally so we can keep an eye on her heart rate, heart rate easier. And I had done these many, many times in, in my career with my patients. And so I was very comfortable with that. I said, sure, no problem. So she grabbed another nurse to help her out. And now I have, I have this epidural and I can't feel a thing basically from my belly button down. I can't move anything. This was a very, very strong epidural. Um, maybe a little bit more than I would have liked, but you know, I, you know I can't be too picky about it. I wasn't feeling anything. So the nurse on my left-hand side kind of picked up my leg and moved it over to the left-hand side. And the nurse on the right picked up my right leg and moved it over and then bam, the baby's on the bed she just popped out. So there was no pushing. There was no, you're 10 centimeters dilated, time's happening. And I immediately went into doctor mode because that's what I do. I've delivered so many babies. I just reached down and grabbed her. I grabbed my white hospital gown. I started wiping all kind of the, the blood tinged goo off of her. And, and she wasn't getting that you know, good baby cry yet. And so I said, I need to suction her mouth out. She's got a bunch of fluid in her mouth. Let's suction her out. So we suctioned her out. And then she still, you know, she was fine. She wasn't like turning blue or, you know, anything going on, but she wasn't getting that good um, deep cry that you want to hear right away. So <clears throat> I said, I need to cut the cord. She, so they handed me the clamp and the scissors and I cut the cord and I handed the baby over to the nurse who took her over to the monitor. And she immediately started crying, best sound in the world. But so that's my story. I delivered my own baby. Kind of crazy, kind of interesting and fun fact.
0: Wow. I'm over here like, wow. <laughs> just a point where you said, oh yeah, she moved my left leg. She moved my right leg. And then bam, the baby just came she out. There. <laughs> oh, wow. That is crazy. So what, when you were going through all this, you just like jumped into it like it's
1: game time. Yeah. It was, I mean, again, because I had done it so many times in my life, I mean, there was no, what do I do or, you know, anything. It was just, oh, here's this baby as if I was on the other side of it delivering a baby. So I just went through the motions that I had done so many times. It was really, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you can look back and say out of body experience or anything, but I don't remember feeling any emotional sensation, like, oh my gosh, this is my baby. It was just kind of like, this is work, you know? Get, get this baby, get this baby breathing and wiped off like we normally do when we're delivering a baby. So, you know, once, once they, everything sort of settled down, I heard her cry, they wrapped her up, you know, within minutes, she was back, you know, as little baby burrito in my arms. And then I could go, okay, you know, this is my baby and, you know, have that emotional connection. But it, it took a moment of just kind of getting in the zone of take care of this baby.
0: So after baby number four, did you, um, did you say, Oh, I think I want another baby or were you like,
1: no, I'm dead. No, no. In fact, I was processing the idea of being done at baby number three. And before that, um, you know, anything happened, I was pregnant again. So my site, my third and fourth babies are literally like 20 months apart. So I really had, I still had a baby when I got pregnant with baby number four. So I hadn't, Hadn't quite made a full decision yet, but definitely after baby number four, it was was time to say our family was complete and it's perfect.
0: Oh, nice. Thank you for sharing that fun, interesting, and crazy experience. So, Dr. Duffy, outside of, you know, you getting a taste of, you know, just being in the delivery room at 17, saying that, okay, I fell in love with medicine. I really want to be a doctor. Was there anything else that was drawing you into the physician world?
1: You know, I think I I grew up um, in, I call it, I call it the granola family. I mean, we were very sort of um, holistic and healthy and, um, did a lot of alternative stuff like acupuncture when I was younger, massage therapy, rolfing, my mom was really into a lot of those things. And so I experienced that as a young person and, you know, especially loving babies, even as a child, I had cabbage patch kids and, you know, all the babies. And so, um, you know, I think that I knew I either wanted to be like a pediatrician or deliver babies, or at one point I wanted to be a teacher, but I think I really realized also that I was good in school. So, you know, it it kind of was fed into me, oh, you should, you know, you should be a doctor because you're so smart on top of this idea of wanting to be around babies and things like that. And ultimately now, Know I delivered babies for many years in my practice, and unfortunately, you know they don't come on your schedule at two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. So, with four babies at home, it was time to um, put that chapter to rest and and you know not be on call every three nights and and be exhausted all the time. So I had to make you know major major decisions in life to move forward with that. And what I love about what I do now, which I think I could look back and say this is really why I went into medicine, is that delivering babies was fun. It was good medicine. You know, you're, you're as, as a pregnant mom, you want to go to the doctor because you want to find out what's going on with my baby and good things are happening. And, you know, there's like this countdown, right. To this exciting moment. It's not, I'm going to the doctor and hearing bad news about my health and my, you know, I've got high blood pressure or I'm sick or something like that. So it was always fun for me. And now my, my work now is what I call integrative or functional medicine. It's wellness, it's health. People love coming in because we're giving them tools and support and knowledge about what's going on with them and how they can actually do things to help improve their life and feel better and not feel kind of weighted down like it's their fault that they don't feel good or that they have some, you know, diagnosis or disease and their only action is to take their pill every day. That's not really helping them get to optimal health, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let's let's stay in this area for a little bit. So um integrative wellness and health. So let's break it down by a dictionary definition. So I want you to lay the foundation and let the listeners and viewers know what exactly do you mean by integrative health and wellness? Like, is okay. it the naturopathic stuff paired with Western medicine, or what
1: are your exactly, thoughts? Yeah. So there's two there's two words that are used um, often, I don't want to call them interchangeably, but used together. So integrative medicine is the idea that exactly what you described, that I I think that there's a spectrum. There is, you know, the, the hardcore traditional medical world where here's a diagnosis and here's the pill, you know, that you're going to take. And then there's the opposite side, which is something like acupuncture or, you know, alternative type practices. And to have somebody who has the knowledge on both of those spectrums, and then when you come into me as a patient, we can come together with a plan that says, how can we incorporate some of these things together in order to get you to your optimal place? So we don't have to choose one one side of the spectrum or the other, and we can really blend it in. And you know, people on, on the more natural side of medicine and those alternative health fields, you know, they can't order labs or write a prescription if needed. And on this side, you know, traditional medicine very commonly doesn't either know about or doesn't really support the use of some of these alternative practices to blend together. Um, so that's the term integrative is to be able to come up to, to come, come to a patient um, plan and interaction on how are we going to get your health better by using, uh, a modality of different, um, varieties of treatments. And then the functional medicine part is really going deeper into, we use the term root cause we're looking for, why is your body doing what it's doing? (coughs) Excuse me. And not just band-aiding a symptom. So functional medicine's job is to get your body working back to its normal function, which is where my book title comes from. Normal doesn't have side effects. So we want to get your body and your health working quote normally, which is going to be optimal. Everything's working the way it's supposed to. If we start to understand why it's not working the way it's supposed to and correct that, then there's not side. you know, there's no pill that you have to take that has a side effect. You have to worry about you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do and your body is very smart and will adapt appropriately to the environment it's provided.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. um, your meaning of the terminology behind integrative um, medicine. And so whenever you look back when you were a physician before you started your practice now do you feel like there were certain checks and balances that you needed to follow within the physician versus pairing it with some of the holistic and the naturopathic remedies because maybe you had certain things that the pharmaceutical companies were you know promoting to you that you had to offload to patients and then before you, and it goes back to that band-aid thing okay I'm giving you this um, prescription, but then this prescription mm. ends up creating this side effect. Then I have to give you another medication. And then some people feel like, oh my gosh, like what's the point of taking all this medicine? I'm like a walking medicine cabinet.
1: Exactly. I mean, that is, that is what my patients deal with all the time, especially when they have <clears throat> this long list or handful of pills, and then they can still fill out on my forms and say they have, you know chronic fatigue and they're frustrated with their weight and they hurt all the time and they don't sleep well and they're irritable and frustrated and their gut's a mess. They have IBS. They gotta they gotta know where every bathroom is everywhere they go because they never know when that's going to happen. You know, that kind of thing. So really what started me down this path and and this is a great question for that segue is, you know, I was in I was in the OBGYN field and so I was delivering lots of babies, which was fun, but on the days that I wasn't delivering babies, I was kind of thrown into women's health. And that has a lot to do with hormones, right? So women come in and, and varying degrees of ages, but we're talking about women that are in maybe their um, 40s to 60s dealing with some hormonal changes and going through menopause. And that was, um you know, 15 to 20 years ago when I was in medical school and residency The um, huge study on women's health came out from the Women's Health Initiative, and there was a lot of concern there with hormone replacement, particularly using something called Premrin and Prempro. Those were the drugs that were in the study, but the the end of the study was actually cut short because they were seeing so many negative effects with these, and uh, uh, like something like 283% increased risk of breast cancers and strokes and heart attacks in women that were taking these medications why it's still on the market. I don't know. That's a whole nother conversation, but yet, you know, women were hearing this and it was in the media and it was everywhere. And we're hearing it as physicians. And now we're stuck in this, what do we do? This is stuff we've used for years and years, you know, telling people it was safe and they, it was either good to help with their symptoms or it was protecting their bones and things like that. And so now my conversations had to be about, you know, here's this pill. I could give it to you to help with these hot flashes and this irritability, And, you know, you want to, rip your husband's head off because he smiled at you or whatever, you know, they're all crazy during this hormonal time, but I can't trust that it's actually good, right? So as a physician, you take the Hippocratic oath that says, I promise to do no harm. Well, here we are with this information that this medication could cause a lot of harm. And that just didn't sit right with me. You know, I'm trying to talk patients out of it. But yeah we didn 't really have any solution for dealing with those symptoms. There was the advice that we could just put them on on antidepressant medications as kind of like well you know you 're going to have hot flashes, but you 're just not going to care about it anymore that 's kind of what that was and that really wasn 't the cure right so I started doing more research in that area of hormones, and I happened upon the idea of bioidentical hormone therapy and natural hormone balancing. Um, I started listening to Um, We didn't have podcasts back then, but it was like, you know, web recorded seminars and things like that. I could listen to that. And then I searched and found conferences on bioidentical hormones and natural hormone balancing. And I just dove in and I was just so intrigued by this idea that we could find what the imbalance in the hormones were. Then we can replace natural hormones. Bioidentical hormones means that it's the chemical structure is exactly the same as the chemicals that are in your body but also bioidentically, we need, we need to use the right dosing. So we're not using these huge doses that your body never made, except maybe when you're pregnant, you know, you're swimming in, in progesterone, but outside of that one particular time frame, there's, you know, there's no time when you have these huge doses of estrogen or testosterone or things like that. So, um, so it, it makes it much more easy to help people be more comfortable in what they're choosing in terms of balancing their hormones, seeing a test, seeing what, what the needs are. And then the most important thing is to test, do the intervention, and then repeat the test to make sure that we're, we're in the right place and things look normal or appropriate for where we're going to be. And then you don't have those risks that were there with all the, the studies from the Women's Health Initiative.
0: Mm, Beautiful. And I like that you Mm -hmm. took it upon yourself to say, I'm going to go research and find another way, an alternate way, because had you been the person that was going through this, you wouldn't want to, you know, be going through the same things that these women were going through. So there's always a root cause analysis. And there's always a way to overcome that whenever you understand what's going on and what are the underlying causes. And I feel like more people need to be open and susceptible to um, natural remedies and modalities because if you think about what people did years ago, a lot of people weren't taking these pharmaceutical drugs or whatnot. They were using what what was produced in the earth and it was working well for them. Mm And it's just like, okay, we you talked about hormones. So there are a lot of women who have hormonal imbalances that, you know, it makes it harder for them to get pregnant. So do you see any of those women within your practice?
1: Absolutely. Um, I don't necessarily advertise that I do infertility because a lot of people, you know, look at that as, you know, the main, you know, in vitro fertilization and things like that. But, you know, for me, I definitely see that. I see um, it, it starts to become this balance and we can go into the, you know, the, the f- finer physiology if we need to, but, but your hormones are very much affected by your neurotransmitters, what's going on in your brain, how your adrenal function is, so your stress hormones. And then those stress hormones also affect your hormone levels. And so, Often in younger women, when I'm seeing, you know, late twenties or thirties, women who have had difficulty getting pregnant, it's very common for them to have pretty significant adrenal fatigue where their cortisol levels are low and also have really low progesterone levels. And you, you know, certainly you can treat that by, by prescribing some natural progesterone support and, you know, there are supplements out there for adrenals, but you really have to get to the source. What is stressing the body out? you know, where, where is this adrenal fatigue coming from? And for a lot of people, there is outside stressors, but there's internal stressors with gut inflammation. And if you don't address those things, I always tell patients, you know, this is like, you go back to the caveman days, you know, your body is always about survival. And if it's afraid that it's not going to be able to survive, you go out in the cave and you get chased by a bear or tiger, and it's not going to be able to, you know, have the appropriate fight or flight response it's trying to protect you. And the last thing it's going to do is let you get pregnant because that's just another risk, either to you, it slows you down or to that baby. So if your body thinks that it's in a state, a state where it's not going to be able to respond to that stressor appropriately, it's never going to let you get pregnant. So we really work towards um, healing the body from the inside, addressing gut issues, addressing what's stressing it out, balancing those hormones A lot of mindset. You know, you hear the story all the time where people that are, you know, really struggling and going through infertility and make the decision to uh, move towards adoption, right? And then all of a sudden they find out they're pregnant because they stop stressing about it, right? So they They kind of made a decision. I'm going this way. And they let that go. And now all of a sudden that stress is gone and, you know, their body's like, oh, we can do this now. So easier said than done. But, you know, you really got to get into that mindset and work on some stress management, breathing, meditation, anything that you could do to tell your body that it's not getting chased by a tiger and everything's going to be okay.
0: Yes, I love that. And I also love that you were saying just reduce the stress because people don't realize that stress can be the number one killer. And it's not just the internal stress, but those external stresses that you um, brought up environmental factors, job stress, family dynamics, and etc. And then before you know it, like, If you go to a therapist, they're like, are you stressed? And they start asking you all these questions and you're like, oh, I didn't think of that because Mm -hmm. you didn't know that your body was stressed, but your body is trying to protect you from future harm. And then you talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the gut. Oh my gosh, the gut is so important because I've heard leaky gut. I've heard sluggish gut and all of those things. Can you hit on that briefly? And from a physician standpoint, but also from like a patient advocate standpoint, can you um, yeah. talk about the pros and cons of how important gut health is and what some of the common
1: um, gut problems are? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is really the foundation where I start all my patients on is, is addressing gut health and, and toxin exposure and going through a detox because, you know, really your gut starting from your mouth all the way down is um, it's trying to protect you. It's like your skin on the inside. So there are many, many, many layers to, to the different parts of your gut. We're talking about small intestine, colon, things like that. There's multiple layers there and they're all designed To Number one, help protect as well as help you break down your food and digest and absorb and things like that. So those layers all have a purpose. And over the course of time, when we're exposed to really things that that you don't think of being poisonous, but they really are. So we're exposed to all these chemicals um, in our, you know, just breathing the air and drinking water, there's chemicals there. But these foods that we're eating that, you know, you go back to caveman days, we didn't have all these foods with all this chemicals and processed things. So we started this, this consumerism in food, right? Let's make food cheaper so we can feed the masses and then let's put extra stuff in it, you know, more sugar so that it tastes good and people are literally addicted to it. Right. (coughs) So when our, our gut boundary, you know, our, our gut barrier is being attacked um, that barrier, it's kind of like taking, you know, I think about my desk at my office as a smooth piece of wood. And I say, you know, if I just sat there every day and rubbed the same area over and over again for 20 years, at some point in time, those layers are going to start getting worn out. And now at some point in time, you have this raw wood underneath. that's never been exposed to the air and to water and things like that. And it's going to get inflamed. It's going to react. So understanding what foods, and everybody has a different um, a different response to different foods, and so it's not there. There is a list of of what we call anti-inflammatory foods or foods that you need to avoid, but. I like doing individualized testing to know exactly what food is causing stress to your system. And then we come in on the other side with supplements that are going to help to build those layers back up again and help your body protect. So when you think about leaky gut, what happens in those layers have been destroyed over time. And now you're down to one cell layer and those cells... Um, aren't used to all that exposure. They're used to something coming in and kind of knocking on the door and it looks and says, oh yeah, I recognize you. You've been through my, you know, all the soldiers that are out, you know, out at the gate, right? And they've let you in, so you must be a safe thing. And when those soldiers aren't there anymore and, you know, everybody's just coming in and it's kind of overflow and, and then inflammation happens, which allows those cells to stretch out or, or get spaced out and there's fluid in between. And now there's no knocking on the door. Everybody's coming in and there's nothing, there's no barrier there. That's going to say, Hey, you're a bad guy. You're a good guy. So now bacteria and toxins and chemicals are coming right into the bloodstream. And now your body is fighting a war. It is reacting to all that stuff that looks foreign and it creates a huge amount of stress on your system every time you eat And so that's really where that foundation needs to come from. And and you can see it in a multitude of ways. There's definitely um, GI symptoms people experience. We call it IBS, (coughs) irritable bowel. Sorry, hold on.
0: Oh, no worries. The IBS, y'all, is the irritable
1: bowel syndrome. So irritable bowel syndrome. And most of the time you can have, you know, when we officially diagnose somebody with that, it's either IBS with diarrhea or IBS with constipation, but I tend to see a mixture all over the place. Some people say, you know, every time I eat, this is, this is patients that come to me, you know, say, how is this affecting your quality of life? And they say, well, I never want to go anywhere. I don't want to go out to eat with friends because I have to excuse myself from the table many times um, to the point where sometimes they're, they have to carry an extra set of clothes in their car if they're going somewhere, you know, farther away because they've had accidents. And it's very frustrating because they don't know what's causing it. So there's no way for them to control it. And there's not really any good medication because the side effect of a medication to control diarrhea is constipation. And so, You end up with this, you know, one day I'm going to the bathroom five times a day, and then I don't go for three or four days. And now I'm uncomfortable, my stomach hurts, I'm bloated. And then you finally go or you take medication to make you go. And then now you have another day where you're, you know, you can't leave the house basically. So it's it can become very dysfunctional, not just from the physical symptom perspective, but socially, you know. I don't want to get, I don't wanna go places where I might be riding in the car with a friend. We're gonna go, she wants to go to the mall or go shopping or something. And I'm like, you know, what if I have to stop and, you know, go to a gas station three times before we get there? And it's embarrassing for those women, which is mostly what what my patient population is. So so definitely we see gut symptoms, but that whole leaky gut thing can can be um, portrayed in different ways. So you can have pain. You can just have simply joint pain. Do I have, you know, people want a diagnosis. Do I have rheumatoid arthritis? Do I have fibromyalgia? You know, I don't know, but what's happening is your body is reacting to all those things. And the inflammatory response just, you know, increases um, all these pain signals and, and you just kind of wake up achy every day. And sometimes it's your neck, sometimes it's your knee, it's your hip, it's your foot, it's all over the place. So you can't go to an orthopedic surgeon and say, I hurt everywhere, you know, put, put injections in every joint, you know, again, it's coming from the gut and you have to address that. And then, sorry, one more, two more symptoms I want to talk about is kind of chronic fatigue. And then what we call the mood, you know, the brain, you're, you're, you're sluggish. You know, I, I feel like I'm in a fog. I can't focus. I can't think I'm tired all the time. Those can come from, again, your body just reacting to that stress all the time. It never gets a break. I call, I say that we're running the marathon of life uphill all the time without ever taking a break or having, you know, that, that slope where it it flattens out a little bit. We're just constantly trying to sprint uphill and your body never, never rests. Wow. So the leaky
0: gut, the mood, and then the um, stress. So all of those components. And then the last question as we wind down, because I want to be respectful of your time, Dr. Duffy. Sure. So do you feel like people need to start with examining the gut, the gut health as their root cause analysis and then working from that area to kind of help with everything that's going on within their body?
1: That is what I do in my practice um, when we're addressing what I call the pillars of health. So gut health and detox is the first pillar. Um, Then we look at nutrition or, you know, food, what we're eating, hormones, fitness, and then stress management mindset are, you know, all kind of work together. But those are my five pillars. But I would say that my uh, best results come from when we start with dealing with the gut. Again, you know, there's things that you can do on your own before you seek out a doctor like me. Again, I, I think that having the knowledge is really the best way to do that. So to have um, a food sensitivity test there are tons of them out there so it's a little overwhelming to go you know researching what test should i do but having a test that tells you what's going on and what your body's reacting to makes it much more easy for you to address but you can start right away i'll tell you the top four foods that i see almost in everybody is gluten we hear that all the time where is that coming from but You know, gluten is just a a serious chemical right now, really. I mean, we used to go to the bakery, right, when we were younger, maybe the bakery is where you would go to get your bread, and and they had the fresh bread that morning. And then they had day old bread, right, on the back shelf. It was already 50% off. You would buy it for making croutons or French toast or something like that, but that was not, you know, good enough to just eat as regular bread. Well, now you go to the grocery store and that loaf of bread might have been sitting on the shelf for a week or so and you take it home and it can sit on your, you know, countertop for two weeks and still you open it up and it's nice and soft and smells just as fresh it doesn't have any mold on it. What is that? It's all chemicals. So whether we're really allergic to the gluten or we're allergic to the process and the chemicals that are added to that gluten to help it, you know, be, be lasting longer and taste good. And, and again, be able to feed the masses because we have to make so much of it. Um, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but, but gluten's number one. Dairy is number two. Eggs are very common, um, nuts, then we get into some other things like nightshades and things like that. But I have had so many patients who just simply by eliminating gluten can really eliminate a lot of those things because really you're not just getting, in a, getting rid of the gluten, you're getting rid of the chemicals. So my biggest pet peeve is gluten-free everything. So that doesn't mean just because it's gluten-free, you can go eat <coughs> you know, pasta and pizza and bread because most of the time they're adding more chemicals to whatever it is they're using instead of gluten to make it taste okay. Um, So really, we want to be grain-free if we can, for the most part, except for maybe some quinoa or something like that. But, you know, go back to the basics. What did the cavemen eat? You know, they had vegetables, they had some meat, maybe some berries and some nuts. That's really what our diet needs to be, is, is as simple as possible. And if we can start there and then find a good quality probiotic Again, that can be overwhelming, but start balancing that gut microflora again, because that, that microbiome is that first layer of protection for you. So those are two things that you could start with right off the bat. Avoid chemicals as much as you can. Avoid the foods that, that we know cause inflammation, and then start healing your gut with some good quality probiotics.
0: Amazing. And then I'll also chime in um, by telling you all, make sure you're listening to your body. Your body is so powerful and your body is always going to speak to you. One thing Mm -hmm. that helped me early on when I was having some GI, so that's gastrointestinology, issues was keeping a food journal so um, it was a way that I um, kept up with my own body's metrics like if I ate something like how did it make me feel or whatnot and then also just go back to just analyze how were your ancestors brought up and what did they eat and if you go back to that, it will definitely help you where you are now. So Dr. Amy, I want you to leave the listeners and viewers with your call to action for this segment and then plug your website and your social media handles.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, my passion is just, um, teaching, you know, the, the word, the Latin word for doctor is really to be a teacher and so, you know, being on uh, platforms like this and speaking, and I really just want people to know that there's a different way because it can be really frustrating in the traditional medical approach to go in with a symptom and be told everything's normal, or you know, like you said in the beginning, you know, here's your pill for this and here's your pill for that. Now you turn around, you're on ten different prescriptions, and then you don't know what's a symptom and what's a side effect, and and so. We are out there. Integrative Functional Medicine. You can Google them. Um, I would love for people to come, you know, and and let me help you in my practice, but that may not be practical depending on where you are. You know, we're this this is a show that's going to be spread out all over the world, hopefully. So I just want to share that message that that we do need to be advocates for our own health and and recognize that hey, I don't feel good. This isn't normal. And find somebody who can listen to you, take the time to understand your symptoms, and do some testing and help guide you, help you understand what's going on. And there there are lots of practices practitioners like myself out there. Um, My website, I have two. I have amyduffymd.com. That's spelled A-I-M-E-E-D-U-F-F-Y-M-D.com. And my practice is called Carolina Integrative Medicine. um, And that website is carolinaintegrativemedicine.com. You can find both of those on uh, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. Um, So we have channels searching for any of those, um, and you can go back and forth. So if you go to my website, you'll be able to have a link to go over to my practice website as well. Um, And the call to action, like I said, is just whether you want to reach out to me. um, We start at my practice with a free discovery call, so you can schedule that right on my website create a call. It's about 15, 20 minutes with my staff. We find out what's going on with you and and how we can help you improve your life and feel better. And then we go go from there. What's the next step? Um, I also have a book. So Normal Doesn't Have Side Effects is on Amazon um, and right now on Kindle, but should be in the next week or two available for print as well. So um, that's another way to get started and describes a lot of what we've just talked about today.
0: And there you have it, listeners and viewers of Jeb's podcast. Once again, I am the founder and host, Miss Genesis Amaris-Kemp. All of Dr. Duffy's contact information will be in the show notes, so you could definitely scroll down and connect with her. Um, for those of you listening, make sure you subscribe and share this segment. Don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening. And lastly, but not least, we are ranked in the top 3% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts per www.listennotes.com. So you could come on over and support the podcast by being a brand ambassador or a brand sponsor. And then you could also find all of our video content at YouTube, which is at Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. Make sure you listen to your body, pay attention, and don't dismiss those subtle clues because they can very much save your life. So be proactive versus reactive. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on Gems podcast.